And so when I was there, I was working there with the local government. I'm like, everything is scattered and fragmented. I said, what about bringing everything together? So bring everything into your hotel. So everyone's working out of like the same location. And so during the day, what I would do is I help them localize like their investment projects. You know, why invest here? You know, are these people looking for like partners or distribution or IP, whatever they needed to do. So it was an investment center that we built. And so we brought the Western element to it. We took their Audi A8s and we took it to um, Shanghai and we bring people in. So we house them like in the hotel and during the day we really like show them projects right so like don't don't believe me go see for yourself and here's like a opportunity for you if this one doesn't work then we have other ones hey what's going on everybody welcome to the gmi rocket show today's episode number 42 I'm your host, Roman Zalachenko. I am a former immigration attorney in the US. I am now the founder of Laborless, which is an immigration tech startup that automates H-1B compliance, and also the founder of GMI Rocket, which brings you this show. Uh, today, I'm super excited to go back to Canada. I, I wish these were real like in-person conversations, because then I would be traveling uh, around the world. Um, but of course, uh, we are remote here. Uh, but we're going back up to Canada to talk to our guest today, Henry Sue, who is the founder and CEO of Settily, which is basically an online kind of digital uh, um, concierge service for immigrants who are relocating uh, to Canada. Um, and in general, it provides services to individuals. You know, once they've landed on the ground, it's like, well, now what, right? I mean, as an immigration lawyer, I always had this idea of, well, I get them their visa and. You know, I help get them their visa, and then they they enter the country, and that's it. You know, the, 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 all the work is done. But of course, a lot of the work is just beginning. Um, and that individual has to move their family. They have to find an apartment, get a car, a credit card. There's, there's life that needs to be set up. Um, and Settily basically helps individuals do that through um, a digital platform. I'm really excited to talk about this because a lot of times we do talk to founders of tech companies that are building technology for the immigration law side of things. Um, but of course, I love talking about what happens before and after that visa process and how tech can enable it. So I can probably talk about this for much longer on my own, but that's not the point of today. So um, Henry, Sue, thank you so much for joining us. I really appreciate you spending the time uh, being here. Thanks for the opportunity. Happy to share. Awesome. Um, and before we jump in, you know, for folks who are watching, uh, please leave a comment. Let us know where you're watching from. Are you in Canada? Are you in the US? Where are you? you're in other parts of the world, please leave a comment. It's always fun to see who's uh, coming in here live and, and obviously give you a shout out. Um, and then of course, as we go along, please do ask questions, right? I think part of this also, a part of the fun is having this interaction, not just with the two of us, but uh, with everyone and with all of you who are, who are watching. Um, cool. So so Henry, I, you know, it's, it's interesting because a lot of times my guests actually, sometimes they do have kind of in, have given interviews in the past um, other times they haven't given interview in the past interviews in the past, and so I get to learn basically everything on the call, which is really fun. Um, I did read a little bit about you, and you actually talked about your family's sort of immigration history, going all the way back to your great grandfather. Maybe there's even more than that before that. So I kind of wanted to start there because I find it super, super fascinating. Um, so you know, you, I read that you are um, your great great grandfather, your great grandfather came yeah. to California during the gold rush, which is just so crazy because it's, I don't know, that's such a historic moment in, in kind of North American and I guess world history. Um, I don't know, what can you share about that and sort of where that all started? 
Sure. So my um, great grandfather came to San Francisco, you know, for the for the gold rush, and then my grandfather came to Canada um, during the CPR, um, blasting open like the Rocky Mountains and whatnot. And what's really interesting is um, I got to speak to a mining company here, and that person's great grandfather was a person that put the last spike in the CPR. So that was a like very interesting. You know, to hear from the other side, um, my father came over um, just before the Cultural Revolution in China. Um, when if he was, he's working for the Chinese version of uh, Cisco food company. Um, and when he came over, obviously he didn't have like like any friends or anything like here. My grandfather passed away at that time, and like the second day after he landed, he was like working and hasn't really start, hasn't really stopped working since then. Um, I was born in I was born in Vancouver, and then from a young age, um, I took a, a big interest in like uh, Chinese culture. Um, but it, we grew up in an area where it's mostly um, immigrants from uh, Iran. Um, I know, obviously, the Vietnam War. Um, me and my two sisters were the only kind of like I guess like Asian kids, aside from maybe some Korean kids um, that all had kind of like. Everyone had like farms, and we grew up in that kind of environment. Hmm. Uh, did you? So your so your so your great grandfather came to uh, San Francisco, and then did he sort of he had a family, and then they moved. Your grandfather moved to Canada to explore that up the CPR opportunity, right? Is that yeah. kind of how? Yeah, I mean, between San Francisco, um, I don't know, like you know, a bit of the history between like San Francisco, Montana, Calgary. You know, you know, people's first choice was to go to the, the states, obviously. But, you know, he started migrating, like migrating uh, up north. And so my grandfather, um, when he came over, um, he, we call them like coolies, right? So they're the ones doing all the hard hard labor. But in terms of like China, they would send all the money back to the village. And a lot of different ethnic communities are still like that today, you know, like the Filipinos and whatnot. And so they they, they work the labor jobs. Um, they do the long hours, work two, three jobs, get their kids in school for like a better life for their for their families and that sacrifice but us being born here we don't really realize that because a lot of times it's like first world problems that we're we're working with here that in in a lot of ways um usually i'll i'll, I'll tell like you know companies and stuff here that want to go to china and whatnot is that they work like 24 7 and it's like even on a competitive level you cannot really compete against that um obviously when i went to china um I encounter a lot of like culture shock because I I went in like '93, and in in '93 China was still farmland like Shanghai. None of that was really built out, and the first person that I encountered uh, was someone from Gabon that spoke like fluent Mandarin, and our family speaks Cantonese. Um, and when I got to China, so this is kind of like my own kind of like maybe settlement kind of immigration journey, uh, going to China to study uh, martial arts. So like my, my background um, is in marketing and advertising. That's why I studied here. I went through like a two-year diploma program. I didn't want to go to university. You know, like it, the, the typical thinking was that I'd be too old if I go to competitions and whatnot. And so um, a lot of things like my, my uh, there are a lot of things like values and th- things like that. My dad instilled me because a lot of things he didn't know, but he had to learn on the fly. And so from a very young age, he, he, he taught me like, well, like, how do I do this? You know, like any kid here is like, ask, you know, encourage you to ask questions. And stuff, how do you do it? And he would say, 
I don't know, but, but find out, figure it out. I don't know. Like you speak English. I don't speak English. Right. And so we, act, we, we kind of like act as a translator and, you know, we do a lot of that from a very young age. Um, but going to China um, was something that was, it felt so far away because we didn't have cell phones. We didn't have email. They were using like telex. You know how to write letters. Um, and there was like a lot of like um, pressure from like Asian parents. It's like, okay, now you're, now you're like a total failure because you're not going to, you know, university or, you know, and whatnot. But as a young kid that's born maybe like a North American environment, it's like you're chasing something that you want, right? Mm-hmm. You, you don't know how you're going to get it, but you're just like on that pathway. And so when I got to, uh, so I worked two jobs. I worked two jobs after like finishing the uh, diploma program. You know, I saved like seven, ten thousand dollars $10,000, went to China. And uh, I was, when I landed, they were supposed to pick me up. And obviously no one came to pick me up. You know, had to take a taxi. But where our school was, it's very close to like uh, Beijing University and Tsinghua University. It's like a university district in Beijing. There was like no, it wasn't even on the map because it was like so far away. And when I got there, I'll, you know, I'm thinking very North American, like, okay, I, I got my traveler's checks. I got to go find a bank, f- find a safety deposit box. Um, I got to go like figure out my orientate myself around the university. Where where is everything? Where do I find food? Where do I find you know like the basic necessities? And the first person I encountered, I, I like I mentioned, is someone from Gabon, and he was like, "You show some, you know, like literally like Beijing accent." And I was like shocked. I'm like, I have to learn Mandarin if like I'm going to survive here. And that was like kind of my introduction to that to that country. You know, like uh, a lot of things that you see in the movies, very prevalent there. You know, people on bicycles, um, a lot of like farming and whatnot at, at that point in time. Not the high, bu- not the buildings that you see now. Um, and the the second chunk is like in, in terms of like the martial arts, like um, you know, it's like okay, follow along, but you don't understand Mandarin. So that really forced me to learn it really quickly because mm-hmm. everything is taught in Mandarin. And so usually it's like a two year diploma program um, for martial arts. And part of it is the first year, you're just focusing on language and culture, and you're trying to orientate yourself in that environment. And the second year, they start doing a lot more like theory, um, just like you know, just like if you're studying kinesiology, so like body mechanics, why are you doing something? It's very scientific um, in terms of their in, in terms of their approach. And there, you go to learn like you go there to learn how to learn. So it's not just like oh my uh, my coach or my teacher is so great, you know, this is a lineage. Because going through that lineage, they might be wrong, but you're passing down things that, you know, it's, it, it gets a little bit mystic, I guess, in, in some ways. And so they really break it down into a little bit more uh, a scientific, more a scientific approach in terms of like, you know, if you're doing movement and whatnot, why, why are you looking, like, why is that person performing well? What is the theory behind it? Like the philosophy behind it? And so you're merging movement with uh, with theory, I guess. I'm curious, how did you? Because so it sounds like you you went to study sort of martial arts, uh, back history, theory, philosophy, and then of course the mechanics of it. Were you already practicing, and like, were you had had you been doing this as a child? Were you already really good? Yeah, I mean that's that's interesting because I grew I didn't grow up in Vancouver, so I actually grew up like. Um, uh, an area called uh, Surrey that's very close to the border to the U.S. So mm-hmm. Blaine, Blaine is probably like 15 minutes away. 
So Blaine is on zero line, right? And we're on like 32nd Avenue. So literally we'd go over there to go get gas and, and whatnot. But from a young age, I'm like, my uncle um, who worked in Vancouver, who was like, um, owned a TV repair shop. Um, when, he'd vis- when he'd come out to like visit us, he'd, he had like VHS, VHS tapes. You remember VHS tapes? <laughs> um, and so they have like, these like, you know, your Kung Fu series and whatnot um, from Hong Kong, mainly from Hong Kong that he would tape. And it was one way for us to learn language is because watching this and, you know, our, at home, um, we're discouraged from like speaking English. And so um, one example is like my, my older sister is like six years older than me. She was she knew how to use the abacus because my dad taught her how to use it. He was an accountant in China. And so during the teacher would go like, oh, you got to watch more Sesame Street. You got to watch more of this. You got to like converse with more kids, like be more social and, and, and whatnot. But at home, we all spoke to each other in Chinese. Mm-hmm. And so your mind starts to wander. You know, you grew up on a farm. You know, you try all, all different types of things. Um, and the martial arts was something that I was very intrigued treat with and my dad had some like german friends and they're they're uh, one of their sons like i'm like i want to go to china he goes he goes well start digging right and so go to like he so he went to the library took me out took out a book on china like china history and I, you know just flipping through the pictures and whatnot like i'm going here like it's just something that is weird in like in terms of like context but i'm going here some you know at some point in time i'm going here so that was like Maybe when I was like seven or eight, and then I started. Uh, um, at that time, there was like no subway and whatnot. It took a long time to get to Vancouver. You know, like even taking like a Greyhound would take like an hour and a half to get to Vancouver. And so I, I ended up in Vancouver, and my parents put me, uh, my mother put me in Chinese school. So um, usually, like in you know, we'd be learning Mandarin and Cantonese, and then I'd come like stay at my grandma's place. And across my from my grandma's place, there's like people teaching martial arts and whatnot. So it really intrigued me. But because I was not from that family clan, you're not like invited, right? And so you're not from that wow. region in China. So you're not invited. So um, I started like kind of like roaming around and I found a place um, and started learning when I was like nine years old. And then at that point in time, like my mother was okay with it. My dad was totally against it. He was like, oh, you're going to end up in a gang. And at that time, there was like a lot of like Hong Kong gangs and whatnot, and so he didn't want that that influence to be in that kind of environment. Um, but for me, I was more intrigued about like the values, you know, like the the philosophy, the values, not so much about the movements. You know, a lot of people ask me, "Oh, is it because of Bruce Lee that you got or Jackie Chan?" I was like, "No, not really." To me, they just like they do well at what they do, but it could be anything. It could be ice skating. It could be sports or whatnot. So that didn't really kind of intrigue me that much. Um, but I had to make money, right? And my parents were like, I'm not paying for it. And so from that age, I had gone like, I gotta start working. So it was really like underage labor, I guess you can call it. So I went around Chinatown. I'm like, look, I'll work for you, you'll do anything. And the uh the store shop, so I'm like, I'm learning Chinese school here. Like this is not really my resume, but this is like what I'm working on right now, and I want to do this and they're like, oh, they found found it really intriguing. Like, why do you want to do that, right? Because they just want to make money, and and their day to day is very uh, rigorous. And so I started uh, working in a grocery store, like a kind of like a Chinese kind of shop. Um, and that, that's kind of how I made money. It was like thirty dollars a month at that point in time. And wow. and so then I had to go how to get here to go 
take the classes. So, you know, so I told my grandmother, I'm like, I'm staying, can I stay at your place? So one day I do like, like a Sunday, I do like Chinese school. A Saturday, I go to the Kung Fu classes. That's how I kind of like started. Wow. So you, so you were a kid, as a kid, you would go down to Vancouver, stay with your grandma, work a job at a store to make a little bit of money to pay for the, to pay for the martial arts classes. And, but your parents were paying for Chinese school. I guess. Yeah, they're 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 paying for like the Chinese school. Got it. Right. Yeah. And so, you know, that, it's, it's 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 interesting in terms of like, like if you're in Vancouver and you're surrounded by Asian people, it's a little bit different. But from us, it's like all your friends on the weekend are doing certain things. I'm like, oh, I go to go to Chinese school. So mm-hmm. you always kind of feel a little bit out of place. Um, and you know, aside from like hockey, we grew up like playing like street hockey and stuff. We have like friends like that's like a very Canadian kind of thing. That every weekend on a Saturday you watch hockey and you grow up watching. But even like hockey players and stuff like that, they're like role models, you know, like this how they conduct themselves. You know, they got they got to wear the suit. They can't be overly, you know, out there. Um, people look at them as as role models. And and by the way, Henry, just so you know, I totally understand that because as a kid for many years on Sunday mornings, I went to Russian math school while all my friends were watching cartoons at home. <laughs> so, so I, I get it. <laughs> um, that That's super fascinating. And thanks for sharing that because it, it, it's really cool. It gives context as to the fact that you actually really took to martial arts when you were just a kid. It wasn't that you were forced into it or anything. It really was something that it seems like you kind of gravitated towards. So, so you graduated the diploma program in in, in Canada you moved over to China to attend this sort of martial arts academy, I guess, or to, yeah. to learn to learn how to teach it. Was the goal there to then teach there or to stay there? Or like, what was the thinking? Um, so I had a teacher, I had a teacher um, from a pro, like a provincial team that immigrated to Canada. And so on the weekends, like almost like the community, we call them community centers here. We go there to like learn mar- learn martial arts, and he spoke Cantonese, so it wasn't an issue for me to like understand what he was saying. And then, you know, suddenly he's like, he got his citizenship. He goes, "I'm out of here. I'm going back, you know, to China." And so for us, we were like really let down. It's like, hey, what do what do we learn now, right? And so he's like, "Well, if you want to continue, uh, I always suggest you go to like China, where the stuff started." So I'm like, "Okay, that's where I'm going." So you know, while I was working, so while I was working, like. Know, saving money and, and going to like doing the diploma program i'm like that's where i'm going and that's how it kind of started so you know you kind of get a recommendation a get recommendation letter like okay you know this person's like this is our background and whatnot but when you go to china you start all over like forget everything you learned everything is wrong um and have you brought you know have you paid where's your tuition okay we got to go to the hospital do like all the shots and you know get you all kind of like registered and whatnot um, and I think being like naive in some ways was good because like, I kind of look back now and we used to keep a journal of our training and whatnot. I don't think I could kind of do it now because you go to like China, go like, I love Kung Fu. And they're like, do you really love Kung Fu? You're like, you know, tr- well, our training and their training is two different things. You know, when you're doing so much repetition, repetition with like a very high standard, and then you really, it really pushes you to, to the limit, just like an entrepreneur, you know, like, do you really want to do this? Are you really mission driven? You say you're passionate, but what does that really mean in terms of like action when you encounter some kind of like challenge? Mm-hmm. But that's in particular, um, it's called the Beijing University of Physical Education. It's like higher learning for people that do coaching. So 
people like Yao Ming. We'd see Yao Ming all the time because like one of my friends was like a national team doctor. Now he still like does Olympics and whatnot. And that's kind of like a circle that we're kind of around. And the thing is like when you're in that environment, you know, say you're jumping or doing some movement, maybe in Canada you can jump like three feet and there you can jump six feet because everyone's jumping eight feet. (laughs) Yeah, it really pushes you. And then that, that environment is, I think it's like that environment and that energy is very important. Like, some of the people that I graduated with now, like they're like um, like team coaches for like Peru and Chile and Colombia, you know, other other places, Japan, my oh. coach, right? Yeah, it's like that was like their profession. But for us coming back, um, it was challenging. You know, it was really it was really challenging in terms of like you're trying to rent space. Um, you can't train people the same way because it's like I really want to train, and and for us, us just like exercise. So you can't, you got to be, you have to take a North American approach, but you got to simplify it, but still have like a standard there. And, and part of it is filling the gaps that for stuff I didn't have when I was learning is that I don't teach you how to learn, right? right? Don't worry about like this style or that style, right? You know, what makes karate, karate or Taekwondo, Taekwondo or this style or that style. That's not, that's irrelevant in a lot of ways because it's like, now you have like have a foundation. And so part of it is like, Okay, you have general conditioning, and specific conditioning to your sport or to your whatever exercise that you're doing. Yeah, no, it's uh, I, I love the I love the concept of being around people. I mean, and I like that you pulled it towards entrepreneurship, being around people that are actually pushing you to be better and 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 to go farther and things like that. Obviously, there should be, I guess, some limits to some extent in terms of safety and whatnot. But um, that's super interesting. Um, but so I'm curious, you came back after you finished that diploma to Canada, right? And so at this point, and just so we're clear, because this isn't, you know, from an immigration standpoint, you're a Canadian citizen. Are you a citizen of China as well? Like, were you able to just easily travel? Did you have to get any visas? I'm just like very at a high level, just curious, like if you had to go through the immigration process. Yeah, we had to get student visas. That's why you have to go to like, you got to go to the hospital and get all your shots and all that. Make sure that you're not a distraction to the country whatnot right. um you know obviously we're paying very high tuition based on what the even i could have had like probably like 10 coaches wa- watching me doing private lessons like for what i kind of paid there so it's very much the um the private school kind of model but even maybe instead of like say 2x it's more like 5x and so my time there you know they're like okay we started from like nothing. So like we would do like say one form for like a month. And we were like, why am I just doing this one form? I pay so much money, right? I don't have that much time here. I gotta learn more. And you they really like build like a, a strong framework and foundation there. Because after like I can tell you theory, but like you don't really get it until you're doing something for say like a month, doing repetitive, like like hundreds, hundreds of times that I make one one tweak and then then it's an alignment. So you no, know, say you're like doing design or whatnot. You're always looking for lines or dance and stuff. It's always about lines and 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 rhythm and 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 whatnot. So you don't really lose the framework. You lose like the speed, agility, but don't really lose the movement. Gotcha. Yeah. No, it's a there's there's so much you learn and things like that about just life and and in general. Um, I'm curious. So when you so when you got back at this point to Canada, you then basically launched into a career. It sounds like sort of in the tech sector is that that's right is that right um, um 
Actually, I started, um, when I came back, I was looking for jobs in advertising, but there was like no big really ad agencies here, like in, in Vancouver. Most were like more like PR, PR companies. So if there was an ad agency, like, an ad, like, for example, if you're doing, say, like some beer company in Hong Kong, it would be like one floor of a building, right? And here would be, okay, that's our key account. So if we lose that account, maybe like a, a car or GM or something account, we can fold up. So like we don't have the means to really kind of pay you properly. And so when we're when we're going to like um our, our it's called like British Columbia as our province, like the the schooling was like, okay, if they don't pay you this much money, then you really need to tell them to re reconsider. So you're very confident, right? And so, okay, now I've finished my martial arts, I'm gonna get a job, I'm gonna settle down, look at opening a school, you know, teach my own students and whatnot. And when I got back, it was like, no, this is, uh, this is what we're paying. And then you have a limit of choices that you can choose from. So now you're a little bit confused, right? And so I was like, okay, I'll just start teaching. So I started teaching and started looking for like a job at the same time. And I ended up doing like sales. And this was like for a local company that was more like doing, um, uh, uh, photocopiers and, uh, uh, plain paper faxes. So these were like laser faxes. When everyone was using like thermal. And so your creativity comes into play and like, okay, how do I sell this thing in volume? Right. And so my, my mindset kind of works in terms of like components. And so I only thing that I can control is authenticity and integrity. I can control a lot of other things, but I can kind of be more empathetic in terms of what people need and then do like that cross-pollinating so that everyone kind of wins in the end. Rather than this is what I want to sell or this is what I want to kind of do, and so I I built really good relationships with like the salespeople that in other companies could only sell one product and we could sell a whole line. Mm-hmm. And so through that sales, did you start to kind of build up in the in the organization, or did you sort of parlay that experience into the actually, tech world? Actually, that company got bought up by an American company that kind of like replaced everybody, I guess. Like it, you know, like Office Depot, Staples, that like they're. Like there's two, I can't remember the name of the company, but they came, brought out, like they say, a local, like small business, I guess you'd call it. Um, and I was like, let go. That was like first time getting laid off. And, you know, when you come from, like, I do a good job, I'm hitting the targets, you know, like I was making probably between four and 7,000 Canadian a month. And I'm like, whoa, that's really good money, right? And th- I'm just starting and you're eager to learn, right? You're eager to learn and you're kind of experimenting and things are happening. And, uh, you know, I was doing like the Groupon type model. So it was like, okay, you need a plain paper fax because you're photocopying everything. So what about you give me plain paper fax at cost, but you bring your other friends to go buy it because mm-hmm. you look smart, right? You look good. And so I was like, kind of like putting those kind of, I say deals, but like that kind of framework together. And, uh, you know, the whole first right of refusal, you know, when we have new stuff and whatnot. But in terms of like tech, um, so after I lost that job, um, after I lost that job, I was like, you know, I was still teaching, like, you know, part-time and whatnot. And I was teaching in the school board. I was teaching, like, yeah, dance studios and whatnot. And in between there, um, I got uh, an interest in doing, like, video. Um, and so there was, like, a studio here that was, like, that one was, like, multimedia. It was just kind of starting. Um, and the web was not even, it was very early for the web. We were using, like, no, using, like notepad. Right. And so you take a course, there's no real books on it. Um, and while taking the course, I'm like, okay, I want to supplement income by like um like doing the practicum by like working for somebody. So it's like, okay, 
I'm working something, I'm learning stuff, but I'm also applying it fairly uh, quickly. And then I was just like teach martial arts on the weekend. So that's when I got into the, the, the tech industry. Um, and I was working for a uh, platform. This is like before the dot-com crash. Um, that was growing like rapidly. Every week we'd have like, meet this person, meet that person, meet this person. They're expanding to like Hong Kong as well. They're so like a- everywhere that had like a stock market, they were very early to like localize to that market because most of the news was like US news. Most of it had like 20 minute delays. And we're like, this is before YouTube. Uh, we're using um, QuickTime and Real Player, you know, and you'd have to download it. And we're like, okay, we're going to start, we're going to build a studio. And then we're going to do our own kind of like news, you know, news updates and find brokers and, and whatnot wow. um, and analysts. So at that point in time, um, every month uh, they had like 200 page views, 200 million page views. So wow. we're, we're competing against like CNBC, you know, MSNBC. Um, they were like probably third in the world at the time. And so Microsoft wanted Bill Gates came up a couple of times when I invest and take over the company. And then we had like uh, China.com and like Lee Kaixing and stuff like that. Um, it was a good model, but it was all based on ads. So it was right. like, okay, this banner ad, you're going to pay like $30,000 a week. So that would say like Indigo or something that wants to sell books. Um, but after that crash, that's when I ended up in China. Um, that was like in 2000. Mm-hmm. And so... When I went to China in 2000, I'm like, okay, I need a work permit. So we're back to this whatever kind of thing again. Okay, I'm going to find a job over there and find a work permit. And then I'm going to move from a very poor part of China back to Beijing where I know all the people. And so I ended up going to like uh, this place and I see people like driving around in Audi, Audi A8s. And I see like a Shangri-La hotel. And I'm trying to like size it up. I'm trying to look at like... How many people coming to the, not even like a town. It was just like, felt like a dead, dead place. But they had like, most of their revenue was from like a coal mine. So it was very much cash and carry. So like, okay, take the coal, weigh it, give me your money and lug it away. And so I started looking at that and there, and local um, government people were like, oh, you're from Canada. Like, you know, bring us more business. And, you know, there's so much opportunity here. And I'm like, I don't see nothing here. And that's like, yeah, that's like maybe a North American way of looking at it. Like, I need this, this, and this. They're like, no, look at all this. Like, we have this hotel building. Like, how many floors do you want? I'm like, I just need work permit and internet. And he was, he was like, oh, it's easy. You'll take care of that, right? So I got my work permit literally like half an hour, right? Wow. Well, it, it was as as quick as I could go to take the photo. But in that particular um, city, I, I started. Uh, you know, I was kind of like someone that they were intrigued in. And so they're like, oh, bring more foreign investment. This is what we're doing. You know, this is luckily all opportunities. And and then I was like, why you? Why now? Like, why should people come here? Like, you don't have heat. You don't have this. You don't have that, right? Yeah, we got a Shangri-La hotel. Look, we have this Taiwanese beef noodle place. And then I go to Taiwanese beef noodle place and the cost of like a bowl of noodles was like half their month's salary for like a person living there. Now, if you went to if you went through like the Beijing university, you graduated and you went back to the work. Yeah. Maybe you could buy a couple of bowls. Right. But it didn't make sense to me. And then people like with cell phones, like 2000 Chinese dollars, like how do you afford this? Mm-hmm. That's a sacrifice that we don't really, it's more about like not afraid of hardship. Maybe what we call hardship here, just afraid of no opportunity. You give yeah. like an immigrant opportunity 
they're the most driven. You don't have to give them drive. And so do you, so through this experience, so it sounds like you came in, you know, as a Canadian citizen, you obviously also speak the language. You have been to China before. So they saw you as this person who could build a bridge between Canada or maybe North America and China. Um, and then it, so then it sounds like, I mean, from, from what I read, you basically started kind of like a, what you call an East to West kind of consulting company or, or advisory. Um, yeah. Is, is that where it was born with, with this sort of this local town and, and province saying, hey, you have a tie to North America, please help us. And then so you built something sort of, and I guess my, my follow-up question to, the, to it would be, um, was that sort of your first big entrepreneurial endeavor where you started the company? Because it still exists today, as far as I understand. Yes. So that was like in 2000. So, so when I was in China, like in, yeah, so that wasn't like kind of the, it was kind of the start of it, but the company didn't really start to like, what, until I kind of came back to Canada and then mm. went back and forth. And so when I was there, I was like working with like, I was working there with the local government. I'm like, everything is scattered and fragmented. I said, what about bringing everything together? So bring everything into your hotel. So everyone's working out of like the same local location. And so during the day, what I would do is I help them localize like their investment projects. You know, why invest here? You know, are these people looking for like partners or distribution or IP, whatever they needed to do? So just a, just in terms of like a framework for building a company, you need a designer, you need a programmer, whatnot, is very similar. So it was an investment center that we built. And so we brought the Western element to it. We built like a cafe. We brought in all the furniture. You know, we're doing like sandwiches and coffee and, and espresso and whatnot. And on one end, it was people that were taking in. So we took their Audi A8s and we took it to um, Shanghai and we bring people in. So we'd house them like in the hotel. And during the day, we would like show them projects, right? So like, don't, don't believe me, go see it for yourself. Um, and here's like a opportunity for you. If this one doesn't work, then we have other ones, right? And from that process, like during the day, we would uh, they vet projects and whatnot. And what, at night, we wine and dine. And obviously, they lived in the building. Everyone kind of like worked or lived in the building. So it made it very easy. Okay, this is a person that from taxation. This is a person to get this like seal, that seal, this permit, that permit. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, we just kind of brought them together. And then, but through that process, like in terms of like the next company that we had, we, we, what we called like Gold Ocean, just before Gold Ocean, uh, my wife now, I, I, I asked her to come go join me. And her dad was like, no, you're not married. That's not going to happen. So I was like, there's so much stuff happening. You could have come here, right? And no, it can't happen. So I, I went down south to an area called Guilin. That area is like about eight hours away from Vietnam. It's like the Karst Mountains and you see the person with the fish. And I go there. I'm like, okay, well, I'm a web designer but I'm not going to make any money here. I have student loans back home. So, but I want to be with this person. What can I do? So, you know, obviously I thought like, okay, um, what can I do? Uh, okay, I'll start an English school. So I went, the so first thing I went to a, a school, I go, okay, I'm going to teach English for you. And then they gave me like, okay, they have like uh, long men and this and that. And then they kind of did their interpretation and there's all these wrong words. And so I'm like, you got all these wrong words here. Like, oh, they can't understand it. And that really like, that didn't resonate with me very well. I'm like, you know it's wrong, but you're still doing it. And maybe that's the martial arts part of me where it's like, you want Justin and, you know, do a good job, good fundamentals and whatnot. You don't, you don't want to like, you know, um, we say like, be, 
be wise, not smart. Like, don't be cunning. Be be wise in terms of like, how do you help everyone win? It doesn't mean necessarily money, right? It could be like something that they insight that you provided that can help them and and whatnot. And so when I was like down in Guilin, of course SARS hit right in two thousand and three, right. and and I ended up back in Vancouver. And so I got married. Well, I guess we're going to get married. So we got married. I ended up back in Vancouver. Uh, my wife came over in 2004. In 2005, we're back in China. But this was like more uh, consulting work that I was doing for a company here that got their IP stolen, their IP and trademarks and everything stolen. And wow. so I had to build like a s- supply chain. Like, and, and literally our competition was like Procter & Gamble, Kimberly Clark, Johnson & Johnson. And they were working like $20 million budgets. And we we're like barely raised like 200000 to run the company in Vancouver. So we're mm-hmm. like this venture and uh, acted more like a mediator. And a lot of that experience came from my time in China, you know, acting kind of as a bridge. Um, so I ended up back in, again, I am back in China. So I wasn't involved in tech at that point in time. And then um, when I got like, so I was working, so I was working during that chunk of it. And then um, going across all across China, you know, setting up supply chain, whatnot, you know, and what I found during that point of time in even investment center, people like, oh, I want to get my kid in Stanford or this school, that school. Like you're from Canada. You must know everybody, right? I'm like, no, but I can find that. I can find the answer. I can go online and check for you, the criteria and kind of like help you through that process. And what I was hearing is like, China's so great. But then I'm like, why do you want to leave? Because right. you're talking about like, and then my martial arts thing came back into place and like, okay, when China was the envy of the world in the Renaissance period, usually that, you know, your arts and everything are, are very strong. And people, like, appreciate it. People want to collect it. People want to learn your stuff. And that part of time is because of like, Confucian values that you see in Japan, you see in Korea. And that's kind of like the framework of how they do business and, and, and whatnot. And China really kind of started shifting at that point in time where it became more materialistic. Right. And so it's kind of like you, you you get a bit of a bad taste, like you can make a lot of money there. But then why are you leaving? So you hear one thing, but they're doing another thing. Right. And so I'm like, OK, I'm not going to label you. I'm trying to understand what's the criteria. Right. And they're like, oh, it's for my kid. So it really is sacrifice for their kids. No different than, say, my grandfather coming from my like my my, my father to, oh, you're so lucky to be born here. You know, what not, why not? And, and you start to see it go like full loop back. And part of that is, is, is interesting because like tangible and tangible. And I talk to like Chinese people all the time. I have friends on both sides. I'm like, it's fine that you want to come here, but you know, they're looking for business opportunity. Um, typically before the husband would stay in China or Hong Kong, so satellite, leave the wife here for like money, you know? So first day they, they do their version of Airbnb. Second day they buy a car, third day they buy a house. Fourth day is a private school. Fifth day to go to like Whistler, the ski mountain here, or go to Banff. And then the husband gets bored and goes, I'm I'm going back. Here's some money, like go invest it. So you see the you see the wife invest in some gold mine that's not producing anything. It's like gold, right? No, but it's not producing, right? And so we saw a lot of gaps in between there. And we also saw like an influx of like new people coming in country that had a lot of, a lot of capital that, but mostly investing in real estate. And it comes back to that tangible thing something that you can hold, right? And so like in China, if you say you have an ad agency or like a digital agency that's 
turning 20 million a year, or you have a tractor, you'd rather have the tractor. Hmm. Yeah, it's, it's, it's still intangible because there's a lot of like mistrust in, in Asia. And so, you know, here we, we go maybe through like, oh, can we do the NDA? I got to make your, we say like ready, willing, able. We do our diligence, we do the vetting. Um, but in, in China, like particularly what we're working on is like that even if you see something, say on um, like Google or like Chinese version of Google, right? It's like one person might be charging $3,000 Another one is charging $30,000. This guy's charging $3 billion, right? You're looking at it as like, are they able to deliver? Because if you're immigrating, it's like, I'm giving a lot of stuff up, right? Mm-hmm. They feel like they're giving a lot of stuff up to go to a country for their children. And part of that is like, what am I going to do over there? And that's what we right. see right, like right now. It's like, what well, I'm going to do over there. And so it's like, oh, I want all these investment projects and whatnot. Okay, fine. That's easy to find. We'll bet. We're just redoing the same model that we did in China, just here. And so, when you when you talk about, um, it's really fascinating because I, I definitely that, that definitely makes sense to me in terms of kind of owning a tractor, wanting to own a tractor rather than owning a digital marketing agency because the marketing agency could disappear. A tractor is in front of you. Um, but you, so you had all this experience. I mean, you're clearly. I mean, it's so kind of fascinating. And so I, I feel like you're so brave, kind of moving to. Even after you, you went to China, said so you went to Vietnam, and then you were like, let me just open up an English school. Like you were just, boom, I'm going to do something. And you're able to do it, or at least, you know, took the steps to do it. When you came back to Canada, <clears throat> you, you, you've been involved in the startup space. And I, I want to get into kind of how subtly, uh, you know, started. But I think before that, or, or sort of along the same time, you started really, really becoming uh, central to the Vancouver startup space. So can you can you just share a little bit about how that happened, like how you parlayed all of this experience in China, back in Canada, starting a martial arts school and starting this like cross you know east west sort of consulting company, helping this town, helping this town gather everyone in a hotel and just central like all these all these experiences. How did you then transition that into all right? I'm back in Vancouver. There's a, an ecosystem here that needs to be sort of you know, um, massaged, if you will. How did you turn that into what you're doing today? And sort of what are you doing today from the startup point of view? Sure. sure. So when when I when I came back to uh, when I came back to Canada, I started working with like the uh, local like ethnic media, um, helping do like a lot of localization. So like one company that we did was like Sidu Skidu. And mm-hmm. so we're trying to do like case studies. So like part of it's not just like be like McKinsey or something like, oh, here's an opportunity or here's a problem. Here's a report, right? But helping them either build that team or leading a team and then kind of moving back and like, if you need help, I'll consult whenever so that there's a little bit of like that support when you kind of like need it. And so through that, we're I started um, uh, helping the media company do a lot of like media sponsorships and partnerships and whatnot. And so those are like all local services and products. So like say boat show, auto show, home show, real estate, whatever that was happening in Vancouver, letting mm-hmm. them know what's available. And then a lot of these are like Caucasian people, right? Or have good businesses, have good like business values and whatnot. Uh, but part of it is educating them on the opportunity. So that it's not like, oh, all the Asian people are driving all the real estate prices. And I kind of look like, well, it, it's a game in some way that you don't give them a permit. They can't do the pre-sales. So like, it's, you just can't look at one part of it. You go look at it kind of like holistically. And so, but 
as you, you as a person, like, how can you, uh, say, use compassion without putting, like, we say, like, tolerance and compassion. So, like, without tolerance, you don't have no compassion because you start labeling people and start segmenting people. These people are like that. These people are like that. But all they are is people. And I found, like, a lot of different ethnic groups here is, like, very siloed. Um, but there's a lot of opportunity here. And so it's kind of, like, more coming from economic, you know, in terms of, like, how can you work with what you have rather than, oh, we need this or we need that. I started doing, like, a lot of matching. And so, like, one of the clients of the... Um, of the 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 media group was a, like a Chinese seafood restaurant, and we had another guy here that was doing like uh, wild meats. So that was like crazy stuff, like kangaroo and wild boar and whatnot. And this was part of like we had like a World Expo here, and so he was resp- he was a chef. So both these people are both these people are in this chefs uh, association. They don't talk to each other. Literally, could be do business with each other. So we introduced them like. Are you willing to go sell to a Chinese audience? So we're going to do a test. Like, how much meat can you give me? So we're going to put this on their menu and and test it out. Like, test it out for like two weeks. And it, it took off. Now the guy's buying meat from the guy. So that's how we try to like create like a three-way kind of thing. So it's not just like, oh, buy some ads from us or buy some like digital ads and, and whatnot. Yeah. We try to move that next step. But through that process in terms of like tech, I started like looking at different industries and like there's tourism and mining took a big dip. And so I started looking back at tech. I'm like, okay, where are the opportunities in tech? You're saying there's a big shortage of all these people. Now, how, what is the criteria? Like, wh- how do I apply? Well, how do you, how do you do this? How do you do that? It was like very vague in terms of like, you know, it wasn't like, okay, here's a form, here's a PDF, fill the form out. Here's our criteria. Get your materials together. That to make sure everything is in order. And how do we speed that process up? And so um, I got started following a group called the uh, Founder Institute. Mm-hmm. It was from the Valley, and I'm like, oh, it's interesting. They're doing all these like workshop free events for people to kind of like do their enrollment. And so I started following along and as a media and covering them. And like this group is looking to do here. They're doing like a pilot. They're like a startup themselves. They're doing a pilot. See, if there's that interest for that kind of program. And then the directors of that program are like, Henry, why don't you join? I'm like, I already have my consulting company. I don't really kind of need this, you know? And they're like, yeah, but you should join and see it from the inside. I was like, oh, fine. I'll join and I saw it from the inside. So that's how kind of steadily came out of the uh, out of the platform. But part of part of it is was difficult for them to understand because in Asia, maybe a lot of countries, usually you're dr- you, you pay your driver. Your driver goes and drops people at school to pick up your kids. They do like run your errands and whatnot. And usually, like in China, you have the like uh, your accountant that follows you along, follows you along, and so you you cut a deal with someone. Okay, go go pay the guy. So it's very like, cash based, like in terms of easy interaction, you know, um, in transaction wise. And so part of that is uh, try to bring some of that back and kind of like speed up the uh, collisions between founders and between like business owners and. Yeah, that was like, we used like tech as example. So like, you know, Sally, Sally is basically like a on-demand conscious platform. So our whole model is, we say to remove the pain and friction. And so, you know, I have like um, immigration uh, lawyer friends and whatnot. I'm like, uh, are you interested in servicing like the Chinese or Asian market? And you go, well, you know, um, I came from Russia. You know, a lot of clients are from Dubai and Russia. This is a practice I built up. Um, but I was more like, 
that's not the question I asked you. Are you looking to, are you, <laughs> yeah, like I'm pretty straightforward. I'm like, are you open to another channel of business? Because you see all these people here that need your service, but because of language and culture. So I was kind of started like, you know, having a discussion, educating. I'm like, they want to work with you, but they're working with all these, all these people that tell them everything they want to hear, but can't deliver because you are still the person that's working on policy. Mm-hmm. Government comes to you. You've been in this like for 30 years. You have like a lot of strengths in, in terms of like what you do in integrity and whatnot. And so the discussion kind of started there. And, and I was like, okay, if I'm a new immigrant, you say I put my shoe, me in the shoes of a new immigrant, what do I need to immigrate to Canada? Oh, okay. There's 90 categories of immigration. It really depends. Yeah, we have point system. We have this and this and that, right? And I'm like, okay, I want chicken rice or beef noodle. Like right. to, to that. So like I know you can do like rate, you know, race all these cars. I just need to learn how to drive. I just need to go from A to B. So it could be like, so I tried to learn their like their process in terms of how they're vetting. How can we make your job easier by collecting some of that information for you? And they're like, oh, they want to sign an NDA and this. I was like, no, they're 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 if they trust, they trust us to give you like everything you need. Is that enough? You need more? And that's maybe a difference in the culture than say over here, like privacy and all that. It's like, I just want to get this thing done. Can you get it done? How much is it gonna cost? What's the time frame? And what what is what's the scope of work you're doing? And uh when can I do this, this, and this? And then in terms of um like other industries like real estate. You know, they're taking people to look at private schools because they want to sell a house. So, like, so of course you can continue that. Um, but what about working with so I put it like, what about working with like uh Sully? You your expert, your expertise in selling houses, not in finding private schools. We have the private school people, admissions people that can take care of that. And you can do like a profit share or some some other kind of like arrangement. And so you start like for service providers, it provides like um, a vetted channel leads. So just like think 80-20. Like I'm coming to you, it's going to be 80% ready to go. We're using 20% of your expertise. And so um, when both sides are like driven like that, then, you, then a lot of business gets done. So how do, fe- how do people... So if I understand correctly, subtly connects new immigrants, I guess from China is it for now, or is it from all parts of the world? Yeah, we're working with China because that's a market that we understand. Sure. Um, but if we roll, like, we, we had, like, the Times of India that reached out, like, their VC group, and they're like, how come you, you're not working with uh, Indians? I said, well, it's not a it's not a slight towards you, but you don't really like to pay. And they go, oh, you're right. Right? So that's, like, understanding that demographic. There's probably some other way that we can kind of, like, formulate around something that works for them, like, on maybe a, on a second tier. So in Canada... Every year, they spend about $1.9 billion on immigration programs. And these are all like nonprofits and whatnot that they distribute the, the, the capital. But they don't really have, like, say, strong KPIs. So one of the issues here is like you got the PhD that's like driving like a taxi, can't, can't get accredited fast enough. So they get into like other problems like mental health and these other things because, like, oh, it's better back home. And then they don't really integrate properly here in, in a. In a lot of ways, like they get depressed and whatnot, but they're very like skilled people. So, like, how can you kind of like move them around, move them along a journey, and have the support network around them? So, in in China, when we do business, it's usually you don't need more than five or six people, you know, within that 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 network of people. So it's kind of like okay, 
um, here are, you know, top tier one or tier two, like immigration lawyers or, or like accountants or whatever service that you need that the, the whole, the whole, the whole premise is that there's two, two levels. One is like a subscription and one's like high touch. So some mm-hmm. people like, I don't care about an app. I just want to get this thing done. I want to get to like the investment opportunity. Yeah, we can do that, but that's not say scalable. There's only so much mm-hmm. that we can do. Right. And, and the thing is like, I want to do this, this, this. And I'm like, yeah, maybe you could do that in China. You can't do that here. I don't agree. Well, that's the reality here. That's what you're kind of working. This is like, these are the pieces that you're working with. Like, and so through that process, like, how can we move that fast along for you? So if you're highly motivated to get your citizenship, like how, if it takes three years, how do we do it like three years and two weeks? Uh, but also make sure the lawyer buys into it. It's like, okay, you're developing a relationship with these guys. And part of it, we're also trying to create community so that there's a lot of cross-pollination like between service providers because everyone's buying into the same philosophy. And part of it is like, it becomes a lot more holistic. It's not just about what I'm trying to sell. It's like cross-pollinating between different industries. So if I so if I can sort of understand, you're so you're working with the Chinese market right now. There's also interest from places like India, and presumably you can do this really from anywhere in the world, you know, theoretically. And so what you do is you're connecting these individuals to like a one point of contact who will help them uh, get their immigration goals and and from a time frame perspective, and also figure out literally how to set up their life in Canada. Is that right? And so so my question to you is then, how does it sort of work tactically or practically? It's an online web-based platform. Do, does a user sign up and like put out a, you know, create a profile and then it matches them with somebody? So sort of how does it work? What's the technological, technological, I don't know why I said that weird. What's the technological uh, uh, underpinning of the, of Settily? Okay, so... Yeah, like for the tech part of it, it's like you you sign up, you put out like a, a call for help, right? Put out a call for help. You know, there's uh, groups that have like a team that's looking to go, you know, take some of this business, right? I mean, like say lawyers have different rates, right? So we can't go like, oh, it's like a fixed rate. And then there's also like, you know, lawyers can't pay referral fees because there's like a conflict of interest, but then they can pay they can pay like a service fee to use your platform. But like, how much business are you giving them? So like, mm-hmm. part of it is like doing like a say a trial, right? Because he asked me, it's like you could go like from one guy to like a hundred guys very quickly, and then how much load can you handle as well, right? And so there's some of those things that we're kind of like working through. But in terms of like a tech platform, it's like a dashboard of like three to five like KPIs that you're tracking. It might be different from different people. So it's like there's free English lessons, but you gotta wait for a year. Like the mail is not gonna wait a like it's free. Yeah, but I want to start a business. I, I want to do this. But there's other things that I gotta take care of, right? And so for like a family, um, the husband like for an Asian family to have to take care of their parents that doesn't necessarily speak English, it's kind of like insurance, right? And so there's 80% um content. Um, and people, you know, like yourself that would come on and, and talk about, say, different components, say, you, like HB1 visas or, or, or whatever category that your expertise is. Mm-hmm. And then, and then it's like, okay, now this guy's talked about it. What's the next step? Right. The next step is like, you know, transaction or create a relationship or give you a referral or they give you a referral 
creating creating more like a, a, a trust network. And so those three to five like indicators, the more uh, motivated they are to go complete like almost like tasks, right? The more uh, like a better rate they'll be able to get from like a law firm because like a law firm go, okay, we're going to give you a million dollars of business. You know, um, it might become from this category or that category. And then we also want to simplify your process. So it's like, okay, here's what you have me to fill out. I need all this other stuff. And so talking to the immigration lawyer, because most of the time is the vetting, you know, making sure because you're different dealing with different cultures where right? oh, it's about right. You know, and it's like, no, there's like legalities and compliance and professionalism and all this stuff you have to do here. Right. And so like, like, so the immigration lawyer, like the Russian guy, he was like, Henry, like, I'll give you a story and this maybe put it in perspective for you. So the first day, you know, I'm walking back to the office after lunch. I see this kid with a Maserati, like this pink Maserati. I'm like, that's interesting. Uh, the guy goes like, oh, uh, do you want to go like take a picture of my Maserati? Like he's all proud. Second day, he sees a guy. He's a purple Maserati. Third day, he's like getting irritated. He's like, that's all good. But like, like just get on with it. It's like a very like maybe North American is there like a match? Can we do something, you know, in terms of that? But he said to me, Henry, I want to keep my license. So I kind of like turned the question back at him. I'm like, what about you keep your license and you get the business and you do a good job because that's what you do anyways. And they do give you more referrals. Oh, okay. That's interesting. So let me do that front part of the work for you. So anything that I bring forward to you, anything that I bring forward to you is going to be vetted and ready to go. But I have to understand your business as well. Like some of your kind of like constraints in terms of like what you kind of need to do. Though I'm not the licensed person to do that. I act more as like the flow through. That makes any sense. Of course. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, no, definitely. I mean, it's it's great because it's it benefits you. You can connect with the folks coming into Canada with individuals who are licensed in Canada to help them with whatever they need. And then of course those, it's like, a, I mean, it's a bit of a marketplace in a way, right? Because yeah, it's, it's, it's weird that you mentioned like immigration tech because like, like in the tech space, that category, you know, how that prop tech and, you know, other, other kind of things is like, oh, are you using AI or using AR, VR, you know, whatnot? I'm like, those are just like tools. The, the thing is to help, like, we, again, remove the pain and friction part of it. And there's also like, I think. So I gave you an uh, example. Like, so, when I was going through like the program and they're like looking for like we say traction and validation, they go, like, I wouldn't pay for this. I'm like, well, you're not the market. Like, you're not the market that we're targeting. You're already like in Canada, you know, you know everything here. But for these people who are coming over, like, how do you speed that process up? And part of it is like the immigration settlement um offices, even though some things are free and whatnot, they're not open on the weekend. So like one guy uh sent me a text, like a police report. So he got like in a like a rear ender on the on the freeway. And it wasn't his fault, but he saw all like the, all the red. Doesn't understand English, so he so he sends a text to his friend. That his friend, I know his friend. He was like, and his friend's like, okay, what do we do, right? I'm like, well, this is a police report. You know, tell him everything's okay. If he needs, uh, you know, like uh, we see, here we call it BCA, you know, like auto whatever to do, tow the car or whatnot. Then we do it, but uh, you, tell him not to worry. And and it's like things like that. It's like things that you don't maybe don't know what to do in that moment and that and that's not just like people that are immigrating it's just like okay my pipe broke who should i talk to like is there like a vetted lead of people that can go fix it in a certain like in, in a timely manner right and so that's kind of what we're kind of working through so that 
you're you're learning the content, right? Even us looking at say like content from the government is hard to comprehend. But how do we like streamline it in a way that's easy to understand? There's like not totally X's and O's, but 80% X's and O's. So there's no confusion. Because like a, a company that uh, like a group came over and they're like, Dentons is one of the big law firms in Canada. Mm-hmm. And uh, they're like, does Dentons own the building? And I'm like, why do you care they own the building? It's like you can do your work. You're too small. You're not a multinational. Yeah, I got, but I got money. Yeah, they don't care. They're, people have money too. You know, it's like, that's the way that I kind of do that a bit of like a, that approach, right? But then this is how I kind of see it. And the way that you're seeing it is a little bit different because where you're from, money maybe money can fix that problem. But here it's like, it's not going to move it any faster. So you kind of look at the viability. Like, it's like, well, I put my money. Will the mine give me a permit faster? No, they still right. have to do the feasibility and bank, banking feasibility and environmental study and all this other stuff. It's like so slow. Well, it is, but that's what you're working around here. So given that, how can you speed it as much as you can with that 20% experience? That's kind of how we kind of look at it. So fascinating to see the different uh, the different kind of philosophies and just way of thinking around business. I'm curious, because um, you brought up immigration tech, you know, I, I always love to ask and, and yeah. I'm curious to hear um, where where do you think the industry is going? I mean, you're cl- you're clearly solving a problem that is related to kind of the personalization of caring for in- in- individuals who are coming to Canada and who they need stuff taken care of, and they need it taken care of on the weekends, at nights, whenever they need it. Yeah. With with subtly, they have some you know they have somebody to talk to and connect them, and or potentially even provide them with the service. Where do you see the industry going specifically from? The perspective of the movement of people. I know that you're involved in more than just the immigration side in a world. Like you're in the broader technology space. But then I guess that that also that almost makes you a better person to answer this question because you see this immigration tech, like you said, it's it's a niche, but you see it within the broader context of startups. Where do you think it's going in Canada? As immigration is increasing in Canada, there's so much more happening. There's a lot more RCICs coming out, et cetera. And, and where do you see it kind of going forward uh, across the world potentially as well? I'm just curious to hear kind of what you're seeing from your point of view. Sure. So I think there's like a lot in terms of like immigration tech. I think there's a lot of um, like, of course, like government only works around policy. They're not like they, op- they can't act as operators, right? And so right. like you need to have you know, operators that are really relating some of like the challenges that they're seeing and then how do you move that faster, right? And so in terms of Canada, in terms of like tech, they've done, they've done a very good job, especially like in Toronto, but their mayor, the mayor there has like totally bought in. And then so now they have like a web summit, but they brought it from the States and now it's like in Toronto. And so aside from say like the Valley or like China, uh, the fastest growing tech ecosystems in Toronto, and we kind of look at like, why is it growing? Right. And part of it all comes back down to culture. And that's kind of like my kind of like general thing. Like all this stuff is like, it's there, but why don't you want it? It's because you don't, in terms of like value for you, it, it doesn't have, like, it doesn't match with what you believe is important. Right. And so like certain values kind of like will, will create trust. Right. And, but it's hard to keep those values because maybe there's a monetary, Thing in front of you and like oh well i don't have a i didn't have a choice right mm-hmm. and you kind of like lose your discipline so but in terms of like immigration like especially i think in terms of like blockchain and stuff like that 
I think there's a lot of opportunities, but the biggest challenge there, like, because there were some companies here that are working, trying to do like, you know, getting people in school and, you know, you accreditation and stuff. But if your data is corrupted from the beginning, you're just like protecting corrupt data. So right. that's kind of like, I think that's one of the challenges, but blockchain should definitely be like in immigration. And then in terms of immigration, like how do you process faster? Like in terms of like, whether it's AI, where you're doing more like using AI to do more screening, right? Um, and and also like creating your, the different, um, maybe personas in terms of like, where do you know, where do you need people, right? Do you need families? Do you need investors? Do you need, you know, because policy is always going to, always going to, uh, always going to change, right? And so I think like immigration is a, is an industry that definitely needs to be disrupted, you know, aside from medical and other stuff. Because everyone knows like someone has immigrated or their families come here, like the struggle, you know, and, and whatnot. And we, we, we kind of say like, this is, this is your choices right now. This is what it could kind of could be. And then, oh, I want to go take part in that. Like you, you help me. So I want to help the next generation of people because people in, in general want to help people. It's right. only when they feel like they're threatened or, you know, they, they're like, like, it's always like, oh, what if you have enough food to eat? And then you could do this. Right. Rather than, oh, I'm going to do philanthropy when I make a lot of money. It's not going to happen because it's like, now you get busy because you got too much money, right? And so it's like, why would it change? Because like the things that are important to you, right? And so we see the biggest opportunities in terms of like not immigration tech, just like immigration in general. There's like two things that we kind of look like look at. So like especially say during COVID, right? Now a lot of people are like, well, what about my 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 application and this and that, right? And um, I'm not an immigration lawyer, but we work with immigration lawyers. We just bring them on, right? Just have this. Just get this discussion for the people that are in country. It's a different kind of need, right? Because like when you're coming, you're excited. You're looking at me as expert to know everything, right? And we're trying to figure out what economy, right? And but when you're in country, you go, I don't like this, this, and this, and this, and this. And you're going like, okay, well, uh, the biggest challenge is like you have too much technical skills. You don't have enough soft skills. You don't have enough people skills. That's what you kind of see here, like the very strong technically, like whether I have a PhD or this and that. And so people go, oh, you should do more volunteer or this and that. He goes, well, I am doing a lot of volunteer. But it's not so much about the volunteer. It's more about creating connections, like not connections in terms of network, but connections in terms of like trying to do something a little bit bigger or being mm-hmm. a little bit more creative in your approach rather than like maybe a, a traditional approach. Because it's say you're in Canada and in North America, you're not constrained the way that you, you would be like in Asia and some other countries. You know, like where, you know, you, you do a company, it's like your personal libel. Like even if you're, if you went bankrupt or something, you're personal libel. So that's like, that in terms of like starting things, people go like, well, it, it, in, in China, it's like everything is a startup. Every day you're encountering five problems, right? And so mentally they're much stronger. Like that fabric is like, we call them like cockroach, right? With this whole cockroach thing is like, you know, I might be all beat up, but I'm I'm just gonna have like a heartbeat. And it's the same as like startups is the same. So part of like what we see in the startup space is like a lot of people, oh, I got a startup. Okay, but your objective is 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 to serve more customers and make money so you can sustain. Right. But a lot are like, we're into all this social justice and this. Oh, that's good. But do social justice and make money. Do philanthropy and make money. That's mm-hmm. kind of like kind of like our philosophy. Like, how can we do 
not just like make money, right? It's like there's a lot of ways to make money. It's just like how in terms of like society, how can you bring them together? Like different cultures, how do you bring them together to do something a little bit bigger? Yeah, that's super important. And I think ultimately that's a lot of people who are in the immigration industry as service providers uh, or folks like you and I who are building technology on top of it. I think ultimately the goal is to bring people together, create sort of a community um, and and help people succeed, right? Especially in a new country, because like you said, it is difficult and there are trials and tribulations and challenges yeah. when you move to a new uh, a new country. Um, I, I'm, I'm curious and, you know, and so thank you for, for sharing all that. It's super exciting. And it sounds like uh, my last question would be to you with regards to Settily is sort of where's the company now? Uh, like kind of where where are you now with it? I mean, as much as you can share. Um, yeah. Because I'm curious, you know, for folks who are listening so that we can kind of get an understanding of uh, what to look forward to with the company. Sure. So, you know, I'm all about like business fundamentals. And so part of it is it's weird in some ways. It's like, it's almost like the formal thing when you know, people are interested, but then you're like, well, I'm not ready yet. And the and ready in terms of like, I want to give you something that can like 10x or 100x. You know, sure. that's how we're kind of like looking at it. So, you know, people are like, I want to talk to the VC, I want to talk to Angel, I want on this. And then people are reaching out to us. So part of it is, uh, um, part of like in terms of uh, the, the startup space, like um, here we have like a VC group that every year they profile companies like you know they put in two tracks so emerging and then rapid growth so rapid growth is like companies that are like in series a you know like maybe during like 10 million 15 million you know a year um we we're selected as one of i think 300 companies from i don't know what how big the poll is um in the ict ict category for emerging emerging growth right and so that gets put into like all the government trade stuff where they talk about like you know opportunities in our province and this is what's happening you know there's so there's like clean tech and whatnot clean mm-hmm. tech AR VR different categories um, and also like in terms of um, the uh, we we're selected for like startup grind um, two years in a row um, and so typically what they do is uh, for from four thousand companies they pick three hundred companies that would exhibit over two days so. They're sponsored by Google and Oracle and Chase Bank. And so each day you exhibit it, you exhibit, um, and you do pitches and they connect you with like VCs and, and network and whatnot. And so you exhibit on one day, and that one day we got like 200 people that kind of like reached out right after. And this was just before SARS. So we're really looking like busy doing a lot of deeper validation, almost like a service business. Mm-hmm. That we're going to like people like I'll build this for you, I'll build this tech for you, and I'm like, no, I want to go deep, deeper validation because some of the stuff is like you're doing like high touch concierge where you're serving like one person, right? Um, you're using a holistic way that is very labor intensive. That we're just like testing the 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 pricing model, the high right. price kind of thing, right? It's like yeah, we could get like a referral fee or whatever fee from a service provider. Um, at the same time, there's a at the same time it's like. You kind of like have to handhold and nurture for high touch, and part of it is like flipping the price every, you know, every transaction to see right. if there's a kickback. Like, oh, I'm not going to pay that. And some of the challenge that we have from that because people ask about churn and this and that is that it's that mentality. It's like, okay, you're going to be my slave because I have money, and that's the thing that we're kind of trying to change. It's mm-hmm. like we'll do the work, 
You don't have to pay so much money. You have too much money. We'll take it. But it's better if you do put it somewhere else. So this whole discount thing is the same. It's like good thinking, but they're like, I don't care about discount. I need to get this thing done. Money's not an issue or whatever it is, right? Well, okay. Why do you look good? You can gift it out maybe to refugee or put it into like a fund or something, right? So that part, they kind of understand. But in terms of like servicing, currently we're servicing between um, 10 to 15. That's like all I can handle. Uh, during 10 to, 10 to 15 individuals or families coming in? Yeah, that's right. Oh, it's, ones that are in country right now. In country. There's a lot that are kind of like on the burner because like border is closed right now. Right, <laughs> so right. They can't come in. So we're doing a lot more like video stuff in terms of like, okay, this is how you prepare. But trying to put it in a way that's very authentic. No, like, oh, it's going to be great. Everything is going to be good. No, right. Really. There's depending on what you want to do. Right. Now, even if you're like in China, it would be the same. Why would you think like moving to another country, everything's just going to work? Right. <laughs> right. It's like, it's, uh, it's, it's kind of that's kind of what's kind of told. Like, don't worry. And when people say don't worry, it's like, no, you got to do some, your own kind of like research. Right. Right. And right. so, like in China, I, I tell this to immigration lawyers because they may not understand. Like, like I, I give that. or $300, right? If you go, say, on Baidu, it's like, okay, if you pay money, you're going to be top of the list. There's no real compliance in terms of of your ability to care at the work. Now, of course, if you're you're doing the work in the States and you've been doing it for some time, okay, how do you localize? How do you localize in a context that they understand Mm -hmm. and make it easy for you and easy for them? I think there's a lot of opportunities in that. and. I don't want to like label people, but most countries, like say I go to North, uh, uh, if I go to let's like, say Brazil, the thinking is very similar to people in China. Like that, that same thinking is like, okay, I'll pay the high dollars if I need to, but I'm like, no, keep the high dollars, invest in the business, create more ep- economic opportunity, whether that's for your your people that are coming or for even people locally. That kind of breaks down the stigma of like new immigrants coming, taking our jobs and whatnot, whatnot. Because I don't really kind of believe in that. You know, like yeah. they're trying to survive. They're, they're, you know, like, and the ones that are buying like expensive houses, like, you know, like $30 million, you can't afford it anyways. It was, you're not the market for that. So, like, you have to kind of really, you know, the media and stuff sometimes like wants to paint it one way or another way. And, you know, there's no right or wrong. It's just like you got to have that bit of context that yeah. I really understand, right? Yeah. And I mean, with, of course, with, with, with this audience of immigration individuals and professionals, of course, the understanding is that immigrants are not coming here to take your job or anybody's job. The idea, of course, is we're trying to get people and move them to another country for new opportunities, and and uh, you know, it's it's it really helps the host or the new country. It helps in many different ways from a diversity standpoint, from an increased skills standpoint, from population standpoint. Um, but yeah, it's super interesting. I mean, it, it's it's fascinating to hear your your point of view in terms of kind of the multicultural approach. Um, and, and where you guys are now. And um, it's cool to be able to talk to you and learn about the, com- the company subtly at its sort of earlier stages, right? Mm-hmm. Because sometimes we have on the show people who have been, who have exited their company and who've been around for a long time, people who are in like the middle stages. And then mm-hmm. it's, it's cool to talk to individuals like you who are really kind of, you've built something, it's launched, you're still testing it though. You're still, there's pricing, there's, there's scalability, et cetera. So um Really appreciate you, you know, sharing your story and, and sharing where the company is. And um, individuals who are interested can go to settlely.com, I think, to check it out, right? Uh, yes. So it's S E T T L E L Y.com. Yeah. Uh, 
there's a little there's a picture behind you for but for those who are, are listening um that that's uh that's where it is so um you know henry I, I love to sort of end these things with kind of a i don't know maybe a fun question or, or something yeah. not business related um i you know you mentioned that when you were younger and people asked you like oh did you like bruce lee did you did you like jackie chan setter and you kind of were like not really um but i'm curious do you have a favorite kung fu film um and and if so what what's like your favorite thing about it um favorite kung fu film wow that's a that's a hard question like yeah. um i don't know the name in in english mm-hmm. but it's usually like more like values that are still in the film not so much that makes it like so mysterious like like approaching tiger or something like that right which is very directed towards maybe more western kind of audience in terms of um like stuff that we usually see but um uh, that's a that's a hard question <laughs> well i can that's rephrase that because there's like some jet lee movies yeah that are really good right there's some jet lee movies that are really i don't know what the names are in, in english to tell you the truth but um well, uh, I'll yeah. ask you. I'll ask it another way. What What's okay. one of the biggest thing you've taken away from uh, a kung fu movies that has impacted your life? We talk about morality, martial morality. Without morality, it's almost like profi- your professional integrity or your compliance upon yourself. Right? You can take you can take shortcuts. Like you could do it. You can like I always, you know, one one lesson I guess maybe that you see in the maybe in a movie and then also some of the stuff that my, my coaches and, and, and teachers uh, taught me is like, is my, maybe it's more about like standard, but I think it's more about like also the, the moral values, moral values that it's like, what, what kind of really turned, kind of turned me off was when I was trying, I was like, what do you want to learn this? And you know, it was like, what? Like more of it's outside of China than it's in, in China. It's kind of weird, right? You want to, you want to go back to the birthplace but they're, what they're interested in is very different than what you're interested in. But if they go back to like the, that uh, the, the, those principles, whether it's like, okay, you know, uh, professionalism, what you maybe call professionalism in your, in your field or in, in um, say, medicine or something, you know, your job is to heal, to help people get better, right? Whether that's like mentally, physically, and, and whatnot. And there's a lot of pride in that. And maybe... I'll, I'll share like one quick, really, really quick story. Is that my wife? Um, her grandfather was like a kind of like a coolie, but he was doing stuff for like the British. He was, they were moving like a hardwood into from Laos and Thailand into China, and uh, he was quite old. And they were like, take the wood, sell it, you know, start a small business or retire, and then just and then pay us back whenever. And that's one story. And whether well, it's like a Li Kai Shing story that most people don't know. It's like with the Wampoo and stuff like that. He was making plastic flowers um, in Hong Kong. And they went to like a their version of financial crisis. Company goes like, Li Kai-shing, we can't pay you for that. Stop, you know, finish what you've done. We'll pay for that. But, you know, just go revisit this later. And Li, Li Kai-shing says like, no, I promise to make it. You know, I'll, I'm going to make it. Pay me when you can. And business has really changed in terms of like, look, I can't pay you back, but I can pay one, like, a dollar or 10 cents, you know, in terms of like in, 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 in integrity, um, also in terms of like morality, if that makes any sense. Mm. 
Yeah. No, yeah, that's, like, that's something that I'm quite passionate about. Like the whole culture part of it is because like your values is going to define your culture. Right. And it's easy to like, I'll say like a VC wants that, but is that good for your people? Like you got to consider the VC because they, they want to return. But at the same time, what about your people that you're serving? What's important right. to them before yeah. what's important to you? Yeah, you're the like least important person. You're not important at all. Like that's how I kind of look at it. Like our, mm-hmm. our thing is to serve. It's all about the client. It's all about yeah, the Yeah, yeah. For sure. That's, I love that. That's so cool. I've, you know what? I, I admit I haven't... It's been a long time since I've really seen a, like a real Kung Fu movie. So I, you're kind of motivating, <laughs> you're motivating me to, to whip out the Netflix and watch something this weekend. Um, well, Henry, thank you so much. I really appreciate you sharing and, and tell, you know, sharing your story and your journey and everything you've, you've done so far. And I'm um, looking forward to following steadily and, and seeing uh, where the company goes going forward. So thank you so much. No worries. Thanks for the opportunity. 